0: The following is a teaching from Church of the Redeemer. We pray that you will be blessed by this teaching. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we wrap up a series of messages we've been involved in for a number of weeks now. Actually, this is the ninth week of our series. Uh, We've been talking about life. I want to continue that theme this weekend by talking about engagement with life. What does it mean to engage in life? I think it's important to understand that all of us can be alive but not really alive. You can have physical life and not really have a true, vital, spiritual life. Jesus made this statement when he was engaged with his disciples, talking to his disciples about what he came to do and his purpose and plan in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, the thief comes, the devil comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I came, notice that I came so that you might have life and have it to the full, that you might have an abundant life. When Jesus made that statement, he chose a very unique word. He reached into the Greek language, and he grabbed hold of a word that he wanted to bring out so that we could understand the real meaning of what he's talking about here. He said, I came that you might have life, and that Greek word is the Greek word, zoe. Would you say that word with me, zoe? It's a different word from bios or biology. We think of biology in terms of our physical bodies, but zoe is a a life that that is qualitatively different. It's not just your physical life, there's a quality of a Zoe kind of life. And the Zoe kind of life, that word actually means to have a life that is fulfilled and a life that is fruitful, not just fulfilled in human endeavors, but fulfilled internally and fruitful at a spiritual dimension. So Jesus said, I came so you might have a fulfillment to your life, a fruitfulness to your life, something that is meaningful on the inside, that you're not just alive but dead internally, you're alive but you're also alive in your aliveness, there's an aliveness in you, something that resides internal, a life in you. Now, just like in the biological realm of life, our physical life, we need certain things to exist. You cannot exist without water, you can't exist without air, you cannot exist without some kind of nutrition, your body will not exist without those those elements. The same is true when we come to the Zoe kind of life. You can't experience a Zoe life without certain essentials. That's what we've been talking about over these weeks together. What are the essentials of the Zoe kind of life? We started by talking about love. You can't experience a Zoe kind of life without experiencing God's love in your life. You need to know that God loves you, that God cares about you, that God so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son, that when you put your faith in Him, you'll have eternal life and to experience the love of God in your own heart, to know that you're loved by God, so then that love can flow through you to the people around you. You can't give what you don't have. And so it starts with experiencing God's love for yourself internally. And then we move on from that love to add to that a sense of inspiration about our lives, that we're inspired with a sense of purpose, that we're not just accidents here on the planet, that God actually has a purpose for us. And there's an inspiration that we feel on the inside of us that carries us forward in life. And then we've talked about the importance of faith. You can't have real life without having a faith in God, a real belief that God is at work in you, that God wants to work through you, that you have a confidence in the promises of God. And then the last word that I'm talking about here this weekend as we're wrapping up this series, that you cannot really experience the Zoe kind of life without being engaged, engaged in growing and engaged in serving. The word engagement, we sometimes use it in a variety of forms. We talk about when it comes to relationships, male, females, when they have this point that they come to the say, a point of commitment, they want to get married, they say, we are... Engaged. We're engaged. It means that you've actually made a commitment to that person and that person to you. You've decided that we're going to go forward with this thing for the rest of our lives. So engagement is used to describe a commitment. It's used to describe becoming involved at a deep level or participating in something at a deep level. And you cannot experience the real Zoe kind of life without engaging with God in the purpose that he's called you to and his cause that he has at work in the world. You need to be a part of what God's doing in the world. And what God is doing in the world is that God is advancing His kingdom, and God is building His church, and He wants you to be engaged in that very same thing. In fact, one of the last things that Jesus said before He went away, He said, I want you to go into all the world and share the gospel. I want you to be involved in my mission. So I want to talk to you today about this power of engagement. You and I need to be engaged with God's plan for our growth and God's plan for our service. Without it, you will never be fulfilled and you will never be fruitful. Now, on the platform this morning, to sort of set up my message, I have three chairs. I want to help you to see where we're going with today's message by a little illustration I'd like to give you. I'm going to invite Felix up to the platform just for a moment, and he's going to help me out with this illustration. And everybody say good morning to Felix. All right, Felix is going to help me here. And I want you to think about these three chairs in in terms of the church, okay? And I've been involved in church life for a long time. One of the things I've noticed about uh, people in church, actually I grew up in church, my dad was a pastor, and so I've watched church for a long time, been the pastor here for 33 years, I was involved in ministry even before we started Church of the Redeemer 33 years ago, and so I understand a little bit about church life. One of the things I've noticed about church is that in church life oftentimes we have a lot of people sitting rather than serving. There are a lot of people that become what I call consumer Christians instead of contributing Christians. One of the things that happens when you become a consuming Christian and not a a contributing Christian is that you miss out on the growth and you miss out on the engagement of how God can use you in your life. And so there are a lot of people who got saved who experienced salvation in their life by accepting Christ as Lord and Savior of their life, but they got saved, they received salvation, but they're sitting. I wanna tell you this morning that God never saved you so that you would sit. God didn't save you to to cause you to sit. God saved you to get you engaged in serving. That's the whole plan and purpose of God for your life. And your life is not gonna be a Zoe life until you understand this, until this really happens. So in church, we have a lot of people that are just sitting around and not doing, this is not a statement of condemnation, this is a statement of encouragement to you today to think about your own life. And there are three different chairs in the church, okay, where people sit, okay? Every church has these three chairs, okay? Our church has these three chairs. Every church has these three chairs where people sit. Chair number one, Felix, if you'll join me here, is the chair of the seeker, okay? We have people that come to church, and they don't know a lot about God. Maybe somebody invited them to church, and so maybe they'll kind of want to learn something more about God, and so they're just kind of hanging up, hanging around the edges and wanting to learn a little bit more about God, but they're not really in a relationship with God. They're seeking to know more, and so how many of you believe today that every church ought to be filled up with a bunch of these folks? Amen, okay? They're looking for God, want a relationship with God. They're not quite there yet, but we welcome people like that. Amen, church? Come on, help me out this morning. I know it's nine o'clock. We welcome people like this, right? Okay, we want them filling our seats, We want to make sure that we create an environment that we're reaching out to them, that we're engaging in projects and things that invite them in, that you and I are inviting people like this to be in church. And so every church needs a lot of people who are sitting in the seat of the seeker, Okay. I'm just seeking to know more about God. But we don't want them to stay in the seat of the seeker, right? We want them at some point in time, as the Holy Spirit is at work in their life, we want to see them come to relationship with Jesus. We want to help them get up and move from the seat of the seeker to the seat of the grower, okay? He's accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of his life. He now has a relationship with Jesus, and man, he is excited about it. I mean, he is so thrilled. I mean, he just met Jesus. He knows his sins are forgiven. I mean, he's got a 10-pound cross around his neck. He's got a 50-pound Bible that he carries around with him. He's got bumper stickers all over the back of his church. Jesus is the answer. Come with me to church, okay? All these things. I mean, this guy is thrilled in his relationship with Jesus. How many of you remember those sweet days when you fell in love with Jesus? Do you remember? Anybody remember those days? Okay, you got it, okay? I mean, there's not a class this guy doesn't sign up for, okay? I, don't, I mean, discipleship, 505. He might be at 101, but he's in 505, okay? Because he's learned everything he can. He wants to know all that he can about his relationship with God. And so he's sitting now in the seat of the grower, okay? He's growing, maybe not all that mature, but still he's, he's in that process. He's excited. He's got a real energy in his faith. Now, every church needs a lot of these folks too, right? Amen? Because this brings excitement to the church. This brings passion to the church. But unfortunately, let me tell you what happens over time. Over time, that passion and that energy slips away. And if we're not careful, we slip over into seat number three. And seat number three can be a good seat. And I'm going to describe the goodness of seat number three in a moment. But it can also be a very dangerous seat because you get to the place that you're no longer really super passionate about your faith. Now you're mature, okay? And you now become, you have the tendency to sit in this seat. You've been in church for a while. You've heard the the messages. You're not as excited as, as you used to be. But now you can grow complacent you can grow just sort of at this point where you're not really pressing forward. You feel like, I've kind of been there, done that. I'm going to come to church, but I'm not going to do much of anything there. And so I sit in the seat of the mature believer, but I'm not growing any longer. And the problem with sitting in this seat is what happens when you become complacent. You begin to You begin to lose your spiritual development, your spiritual edge, and you can also become a critic. There are a lot of critics sitting in the seat, critics of the church, okay? And they sit here because they think they're sort of an armchair quarterback and they think they know better than most everybody else. And so, if you're not careful, this can become the seat that creates problems for you. You can get to a very, there are a lot of churches that are filled up with a bunch of third seat believers who are set in their ways, they're no longer growing, they're no longer developing. Let me ask you a question. If you're a seeker, do you wanna come into a church with people who are just sitting around complaining about everything? You don't, right? Okay. Now, the good thing about this chair is that if you really understand what this chair is all about, that when you become a mature believer, you actually don't remain seated in this chair, you actually get up. And you come over here and you start helping people who are in chair number one and you're encouraging them along. You're praying for them. Come on, you need Jesus in your life. Come on, let me help you. We love you. God bless you. All this kind of stuff. You're really working them around, trying to move them to seat number two. get in seat number two with them. Now you're discipling them. Praise God. Come on, I want to praise with you. Glory to God. I'll get me a 10-pound cross too to wear with you. This is awesome. And so now this person who is in seat number three is engaged. Everybody say engaged. engaged. Okay. So what you want in every church, because this is what keeps the life of the church going, all right? Are you with me? Okay. This is what keeps things moving along. You're doing awesome. You're a great puppet. I'm telling you. So, So what you want to be is very engaged in the process. What you don't want to do is stop at any of these chairs, because God never called you to stop at any point. You move from the seeker to the grower to the mature believer who gets up out of his seat and starts serving. You start being engaged in helping the work of the kingdom of God be accomplished. Amen. Thank you so much, Felix. You did an awesome job. Appreciate that very much. Okay. So, how do you do this in your life? How do you make sure? How many of you want to be engaged? Well, let me ask, stop for a moment. How many of you want life? Do you want Zoe? You cannot have Zoe without experiencing the love of God in your life. You can't experience Zoe without being inspired with a sense of purpose. You cannot experience Zoe without having an active, living faith in you. And you cannot experience Zoe without being Engaged. You have to be engaged in the work of God because what happens is when you get you get up out of the third chair, you don't need to come back, Felix. I'll just sort of pretend that you're here. Okay. When you get engaged in this process, it renews your faith. When you're helping somebody else grow in their faith, you're leading somebody else to Christ, your faith comes alive. It keeps you moving forward in your spiritual journey as well. So let me share with you this morning four things that will help you to understand what this engagement is all about. Number one, if you're gonna get engaged in the work of the kingdom of God, you must get busy growing yourself. You gotta make the choice to say, I will always be a growing believer. I will never stop growing. I choose to grow. When you meet Jesus as Lord of your life, your nature is changed. The Bible says if any person be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And so if you met Jesus, you have a new nature. It's in you. And the issue now as a Christian is not do you have a new nature. The issue is does the new nature have you? Are you living out this new nature in Christ? Are you actually demonstrating day by day in your journey with Jesus that you're actually growing in your relationship with Him, that this new nature that Jesus has given you is becoming the prominent nature of your life. Instead of your old nature controlling you, you now have the new nature of Jesus controlling your life. That's called growth, okay? Because growth is not about how much you know, it's about how much you live, right? A lot of people know a lot of stuff about the Bible, but they don't live it. That doesn't make you a mature, growing Christian. What makes you a growing Christian is what not what you know, but what you do, okay? Now, knowing should lead you to doing, but knowing alone is not sufficient. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians 4, 21 through 24. When you heard about Christ and were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to do what? To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's called growth, that I'm putting off my old self and i'm putting on the new creation that jesus has made me to be i'm growing in my faith now whose responsibility is it to make sure that you're growing listen to peter's words in first peter or excuse me second peter chapter 3 verse 18 But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. But grow. Now, there's an implied pronoun that's there. The implied pronoun is you. But you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to remind you of something here this morning. You probably know this, but I want to remind you, it is not my responsibility to make you grow. It's not a church's responsibility to make you grow in your faith. It's my job to provide you spiritual food and spiritual nourishment. It's our job as a church to provide an atmosphere in which growth can happen, but growth will never happen unless you choose to grow. You're the person that will choose growth in your life or choose not to grow, so it's your choice. But you, if you're gonna move in these chairs and 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 engage in God's purpose, you've got to decide that you're going to grow. Can I ask you this morning, how are you doing when it comes to growing? Are you really truly genuinely growing in your relationship with God? It is your responsibility to make that choice, to exercise that process. Number 2, you have to learn Jesus pattern. If you're going to engage in God's work, you have to understand how God does his work. You can't do God's work in the world's way. Because if you try to do God's work in the world's way, you'll get worldly results, right? And so you've got to do God's work in God's way, and that means you have to learn God's pattern. A pattern is how something is done, okay? When I was growing up, I remember the days my mom used to sew, and I can remember the kitchen table, and how she would lay out these dress patterns, you may not even know what they are, but the big dress patterns she would cut out by material and cut out all the patterns and sew those things together, but there had to be a pattern for there to be uh, any kind of end result, and the same is true for you. If you're going to move down this journey, and especially if you're going to get up out of the third chair and come over here and help folks in the first and second chair, which is engagement, you've got to know how Jesus wants you to do this? What does that pattern look like? And there's one simple word. I've already used it today multiple times. I'm going to bring it back to your attention. There's one word that really summarizes what you and I need to get when it comes to engaging in the work of God, engaging in the purpose of God and calling of God for our lives. And that one word is servanthood. Say it with me. Servanthood. Jesus called you and me to be servants. Very clear. He didn't call he didn't establish the church to give out titles, he established the church to give out towels. Jesus washed disciples' feet, said, this is what I did. I want you to do what I do. And so so church is not about your title. Church is about your towels. How effectively do you serve? Are you serving the purposes of God? Are you a servant? Listen to this in Philippians chapter 2 as Paul describes Jesus himself and this nature of servanthood. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Now, when Jesus came, he put on, if you will, a a, a garment to wear in his ministry on earth, and he continues to demonstrate that ministry today. that, That garment is the garment of servanthood, okay? It's a garment that says, I'm going to serve, I'm here to serve. In fact, notice what Jesus even said to his disciples when they were arguing about who was greatest in the kingdom and how you could be awesome and and have real recognition in the kingdom. Notice what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verses 43 through 45, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your Servant, And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To live, to give like Jesus, to be engaged in the ministry that God's called us to be engaged in, every one of us, we have to choose to do it his way. And that way is with an attitude of humility and an attitude of of service. Being a servant is the highest call you will ever have in life. And here's the good news. Everybody can do that. Not all of us can do certain things. We don't all have all kind of different talents. Some people are more talented than others, but one thing everybody can do is serve. Amen? Everybody can serve. You can serve in some way based upon your abilities, based upon the giftings that God has given to you and your availability to God. Number three, the third thing that is essential, if you want to make sure that you're engaging in the work of God, you've got to expect to be stretched. Okay. Let me take you back where we've been. You can't experience a Zoe life without engagement, correct? Right? You all alive here today? Help me out, Okay. You can't experience the Zoe kind of life without engagement, and engaging involves growing and serving, and growing and serving always requires stretching. You will never grow. You'll never never learn anything about serving, because serving stretches you, amen, okay? Serving stretches you like nothing else will. Growing stretches you, and God will often put you in situations if you wanna grow and you wanna serve, he's gonna put you in situations that require more than you have to give. You're gonna be stretched in those situations and the reason that he stretches you so is so that you'll depend upon him and find that it's not even your power anyway that's at work, it's the power of God that is at work in and through you. And so we need to be stretched if we're going to grow. Our faith needs to be stretched. Our engagement needs to be stretched. Jesus very clearly taught us this. Before I go to the point, in, in, in John chapter 6 in just a moment. Let me explain what I mean by here. You. If you're in seat number 3, you're now kind of been around the things of God for a period of time. you kind of mature a little bit. You've grown in your faith. You're not kind of in number 2 anymore. You're in seat number 3, and you just sit here over a period of time. You don't get engaged. What happens to you spiritually without even realizing it is your muscles get weak. You atrophy over a period of time. Because it's only by exercise, by stretching, by utilizing those muscles that actually you, you actually continue to have, have the same capacity and even develop greater capacity. And that's why a lot of people who sit around in church and they, they become consumers and not contributors to the work of God, not engaged. Before they know it, they actually are declining in their spiritual journey. They're not really going forward. They become critics. They become all kind of, a lot of negative stuff starts happening in their life. and They start having all these manifestations of bitterness and resentment and these things that grab hold. They don't understand why because they, they're sitting. Because when you're sitting, you're not growing. You're actually losing losing pace with your journey, okay? That's why when you get up and start serving, you engage and start helping us accomplish the mission together with these who are seekers and those that are growers, you're exercising and that requires stretching. You'll never grow without stretching. Notice what Jesus, uh, the story Jesus gives us in John chapter six, actually John the apostle gives it to us about Jesus in John chapter six. Jesus had been teaching uh, uh, a group of people for an extended period of time one day. It's now time to dismiss them. He realizes they're all hungry, and notice what happens. When Jesus looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. So he's asked Philip a question, right? Are you with me today? He asked Philip the question, got all these people here. Where can we buy some bread so all these people can eat? And the Bible's very clear, Jesus asked Philip the question to test him. He's testing where Philip is, what chair Philip is in right now, okay? He's testing him, right? He asked us only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of His disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? I want you to notice in this story, Philip and Andrew. Say those two names with me, Philip and Andrew. So Jesus is presenting a problem or we might say an opportunity to Philip and Andrew. He starts with Philip and says, Philip, we've got a bunch of people here. We need to feed them. Where can we get some bread to feed all these folks? And Jesus knew what he was going to do, but he's testing Philip to see how he will handle the situation. Is he going to rise to the occasion? Will he allow this thing to stretch him and stretch his faith, or will he not? And so Philip fails the test. What did Philip say? Jesus, you got to be kidding. Man, if we had eight months' wages, we couldn't buy enough food for all these people. you got to be kidding. There's no way we can do this. And so Philip stayed in his chair. Can't do this. It's impossible. Don't ask me to do something, Jesus, that I can't do. I'm going to sit here. Andrew, however, overheard the conversation between Jesus and Philip. And Andrew, notice this, Andrew hopped up out of his chair and said, I don't know if this is gonna help at all, but I saw a boy here with five loaves and two fish. I can't quite figure out how it's going to make any difference, but I'm not going to sit on my chair and have this piece of information as terms of a solution to this problem that I'm not going to bring to your attention. I'm going to get engaged in bringing an answer. And so while Philip stayed in his chair, what did Andrew do? Andrew voluntarily jumped up and said, I want to be a part of helping solve this problem. I don't know how this is going to help. It's just five loaves and two fish. What's this among so many? But at least I'm a part of the solution. I'm engaged. Are you with me, church? So you see the difference between Philip and Andrew. Philip said, hey, no way we can do this. I'm just going to sit here and see what you do, Jesus. Andrew said, no, I want to be involved. I want to be engaged. Vital difference between the two of them. Philip failed the test. Andrew passed the test. Philip got smaller that day. Andrew got bigger that day. Philip shrank that day in his spiritual growth. Andrew grew in his growth. He said, here's this boy with five loaves and two fishes. Now, notice what happens after this transpires. But before we get to that, let me give you three things. They're on your notes. It's vital to write down because I don't want to miss this point for you. You know that you're hopping up out of the third chair when when opportunities or challenges come your way, you look for solutions rather than think about problems. See, when you're sitting in the third chair, all you can see is problems, okay, When you're hopping up out of that third chair to help with the process of feeding people, taking care of people, you start seeing solutions, right? You know that you're moving out of that third chair when you begin to think about possibilities rather than impossibilities. That's exactly what Andrew did. He's thinking about possibilities, not impossibilities. What can happen here? Actually, Jesus, the Son of God, is on the, on the scene here, so there's some possibilities in this situation. Let I me mean, you know that when Jesus is around, nothing is impossible. Andrew had that understanding. Then thirdly, you know that something good is happening in your life. You're getting engaged when you begin to take positive action instead of just simply staying back passively. See, Philip was passive. Andrew was active. Now, notice now, as I was going to say a moment ago, what happens with the situation in John chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Andrew says, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far would they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. What I want you to see is this, because Andrew hopped up out of the third chair and said, I want to be engaged in this process. Jesus said, that was exactly what I was looking for. I was looking for someone who would step up and be engaged. Now, have them to sit down because a miracle is about to happen. Let me tell you something, folks. When you start getting engaged in the work of God yourself, you'll start seeing God at work in and through you. You'll see miracles happen in and through you when engagement happens. Philip missed a moment. Andrew captured the moment. So this miracle transpired. And of course, we know that 5,000 plus were fed. It was an amazing moment that happened because of Andrew's engagement. Let's lead us now to the last point. This is vital for us. If you're going to be engaged in the work of God, find the real Zoe life that Jesus wants you to experience. You've got to live for eternal rewards. Anytime, listen closely, anytime... You hop up out of this chair as a a mature believer. You start serving and growing and maturing in your faith. You begin to be engaged in the process of solutions and helping us overcome, helping God's work overcome the impossibilities and and actively engage. When you hop up and say, I'm going to engage in the work of God, I'm not going to sit here and just let my life sort of waste away. What I want you to know is every time you hop up and engage, there's a reward for that. Everything that you do for the work of the kingdom of God always brings a reward every time. Now, those rewards do not always come in this life. Sometimes they come in the life that is to come. And that is so valuable because the Bible says that we are to lay up treasures in heaven. Not every treasure you're going to experience in life will happen in this life. You and I need to be setting up an account in heaven. Can I ask you, what does your heavenly account look like? A lot of us are working real hard to build up our earthly accounts, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I tell you there's a lot wrong with that. If all you're thinking about is your earthly account, you're making no investment in the heavenly account, it's only when you get engaged in the work of God that you start making investments in that which is going to last forever. I will tell you that your eternal investment is worth far more than your natural worldly investments. What you're laying up for heaven is far more valuable because it's going to last for eternity. So we have to make the choice. Let's go back to the story. Look at the end of the story here that I read to you a few moments ago from John chapter 6. Listen to what happens. There are rewards whenever you engage. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat... He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Can I ask you a question? After everybody was fed that day, was there anything left over for those who did the serving? I don't think you heard my question. After they jumped up and fed everybody that day, 5,000 men plus the women and the children, was there anything left over for those who served? Yes. And that's the fear that we all have. If I serve, there'll be nothing left for me. Who's going to take care of me? What about me? Anybody ever thought that question before? Okay. If I get engaged with what's in it for me, what I want you to know is that when you jump up and you begin to engage in service... Jesus always makes sure that there's enough for you too, okay? You can't outserve God. You cannot outgive God. It's impossible to outserve God. It's impossible to outgive God. Even the young boy learned that lesson. Can you imagine being the young boy that day? What did the young boy do? The young boy, when Jesus said, You know, son, I'd really like to have your lunch today, I think we can do something miraculous if you just give me that lunch. I'm sure for a few moments that little boy said, I'm not sure about this. Mama gave this to me this morning. If I give it to you, I'm not sure. I'm pretty hungry right now. But there was a moment in that little boy's heart that he said, you know, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give to you what was for me, trusting that when I give it to you, there'll still be enough for me, okay? And that's what giving and that's what serving is all about. Giving and serving is not about putting you first. Is putting God first, trusting that when you put God first, He'll take care of you, amen? Let's wrap up here this morning. That's right, amen. Let's wrap up here this morning. Matthew 16, 25, we're just about done. If you try to hang on to your life, you will what? Lose it. But if you... If you give up your life for my sake, what will happen? You will save it. Would you read together with me Luke 6:38, Let's read it all aloud and loudly across our campuses. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you now listen as i read this just listen closely do you know who said this jesus said this jesus said give and it will be given to you and then he describes the response of what will be given to you a good measure pressed down shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. Every time I read that passage, I cannot help but re- remember as a kid, raking leaves in our yard and bagging those leaves up and how you'd push them down and shake them together and just push them down some more and shake them together. It's amazing how many leaves you can get in a bag when you press them down and you shake them together until they're running over. That's what Jesus says. He says, I promise you, if you'll give, it will be given to you a good measure. Press down, shaken together. Running over will be poured into your lap. But notice the pouring into your lap doesn't happen without the beginning verse word in the verse. That's give. Give, and then there's the pouring. We want the pouring out first, don't we? Pour out, Lord, and I'll give. No, God says give, and I'll pour out. You see the difference? We want the pour out, God, and then I'll give. No, no, no. God says give, and then I'll pour out into your lap. For with the measure, you got to get this part. We're going to conclude here for the measure you use it will be measured to you. The measure that you use, it will be measured to you. I think all of you can identify with this illustration. We have different measurements that we use in our kitchens, correct? Okay. Some recipes call for a teaspoon of something or a tablespoon of something or a cup of something or a pint of something or a gallon of something, correct? Okay. So with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Got it? Are you with me here today? So what is Jesus saying? Give, and it will be given to you. The measure you use, it will be given back to you. If you give with a teaspoon, what does God use in response with you? Give, and in the same measure, it will be given to you. If you give with a tablespoon, what does God give with you? If you give with a pint, what does God give with you? If you give with a gallon, what does God give with you? Okay. If you give with a dump truck, what does God do with you? Okay. Are you with me? Okay. Are you with me? All right. Who sets the, who sets the limit? Who sets the, the opportunities of what God pours back into our lives? We do by our giving. Now, just make something very clear. I'm not talking about getting financial rewards here. Don't send me emails and say I'm a prosperity preacher. I'm not. Okay. I'm not, because a lot of these rewards don't even come in this life. Some of them come in the next life, amen? It's not all about getting stuff here, okay? Sometimes you're better off not to get it here and get it there, okay? Amen? Sometimes your best gifts are are waiting in eternity for you. So I'm not talking about getting rich. I'm not talking about getting stuff here and having all this stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about what Jesus said, give, And it will be given to you. He didn't say, what would be given to you? He said, give and it will be given to you. Good things will come out of this in your life. But with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And my challenge for every one of us today is this. I can tell you by experience and continuing to grow in this experience in my own life, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. It is more blessed to serve than it is to be served. It is so such a blessing to come to that third chair in your life and realize, you know what, God has done some incredible things in my life. Because every church needs a third, need third chair people. Amen? It's called mature believers. But those those third chair people, what a blessing it is when they hop up out of that third chair and say, you know what? God has done some incredible things in my life. What can I do to engage with God in the work? that he's called us to do together. How can I be engaged? I believe, as we're wrapping up here this morning, I believe, and I believe that you'll you'll join with me in this, that we want our church filled up with a whole bunch of seekers, amen? 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 Amen. Do you want seekers in the house of God? Yeah, we want a bunch of people in that. By the way, who's gonna get these people into the church? Who? You are, okay? You know them. They're in your neighborhood, they're in your family, they're in the place that you work. They're in your world. So people who don't know God, but have a desire for God, you need to be bringing them to church. You need to invite them to the house of God. You need to bring them to, to, to the, the opportunity here and let the, the, the word of God, let God's, God work in their life. And so we're to fill up God's house. That's why I believe Jesus said his house is to be full. So it's our job to get people in here who's seeking, but then to pray them and set up and engage in the process. We're moving them just from a seeker to a person who has a relationship with Jesus and they're growing and moving to the point that they 're mature in their faith and they 're helping with the process of us moving people forward in their faith and when you do this, you have a healthy church you have a church that is continuing to reach people generation after generation after generation after generation until Jesus comes back again that 's who and what we want to be as a church family. Amen? Amen. Would you join me as we pray together? Father, thank you for your word this morning we 're so grateful for the opportunity that we've had to study Your Word. Lord, we all want to make sure that we're moving forward. Whatever chair that we're in this morning, we want to make sure that we're moving to that next chair and engaging with You. And I just pray that something that's said this morning would would lodge deeply in every one of our hearts. Lord, we pray that You'd help us just to receive that very thing today that would move us forward in You. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart call upon God and I promise you that he will hear and answer you so let's pray together start by simply whispering the name Jesus let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of his name say Jesus I know that that I am a sinner that I have fallen short with you I'm sorry for all of my sins Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you, in Jesus' name, amen. Now if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. and You begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.